Welcome to What CEOs Talk About. Do you wonder what CEOs talk about behind closed doors? How they bring their vision to reality? How do they overcome and succeed through adversity? We share that and so much more with each episode. Now, let's get started with the show. Hello, everybody. My name is Martin Hunter. I am the host of What CEOs Talk About, where we translate strategy into frontline operations. Speaking of strategy, we have Sean Pavlidis. Say it. Can you say it out loud again for me so I don't miss it up again? Sean Pavlidis. 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 Uh, very, terribly sorry. Thank you very much. No um, he is a principal at a level five strategy. Uh, and you are a principal and you've been in the business for about 10 years, correct? Correct. One interesting fact about Sean is that he is a amateur carpenter. So tell us how is that is how, how tell me why. Uh, I'd argue necessity, um, <laughs> <laughs> moved into a house a few years ago and, uh, well, we live in Toronto, so, you know, the Toronto housing market. Uh, basically got what we could get and, and uh, realized it wasn't quite what we wanted to have and slowly started picking away at problems and addressing things that I felt were in my skill set, which was this like tiny, tiny box of, yeah. of almost nothing. I could sand things perhaps. Um, but then increasingly, just like any sort of skill or, or professional activity, you, you build onto that foundation and you learn more and, and, and you build more kind of credibility and confidence in yourself until eventually you're building your own staircases and smashing down walls before you even know what you're going to do next. Cause you just, you figure you'll figure it out along the way. Oh, that's so wonderful. That's so wonderful. And so Sean, thank you very much for being on the show. Um, appreciate it. What is the title that you'd like to pick for the show today? I think I'd like to go with flexible leadership, um, but I'd like to remain flexible on that title as we talk. <laughs> so tell us your story, Sean. How does, when Sean was born back in, how does it go? Uh, I'm not going to start there. I'm not going <laughs> to date, date myself too quickly on the show. Um, but it, it, it's a pretty straightforward story. I'm, um, as you'll probably learn throughout this podcast, I'm, I'm very much a, you know, a one track mind. Once I decide something, you know, that is what I do and I'm going to be great at it and, and you know, blinders on for everything else. <laughs> and so my, my career path and my career trajectory has been similar to my mindset uh, in the sense that you know, I went to school, Queens Commerce for, for well, business, obviously, and, and mm -hmm. went straight into to consulting and level five. And uh, I actually intended you know, when you plan your, your life out and mm -hmm. you're meant to do that in school, I intended to be there two or three years because uh, historically that's the average consultant lifespan. Mm -hmm. um, but when I got there, I loved it. I loved everything about the people, the culture. I, I realized I just loved client services and I didn't want to be in a world where I, I wasn't on the beck and call and, and, and needed to be on the ready at any point in time. And, and so I, I, I just realized that I kind of stumbled into the perfect place and the perfect culture and the perfect uh, industry for me uh, and seemed to perform well. So I stuck around and, and now I'm on uh, the what CEOs talk about podcast and I've peaked. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully you'll, you'll, you'll gain more out of life than just being on the podcast right now, but it has, speaking of peaking, it's just crazy. My, my team said to me, said in, in uh, we've reached Martin. Hey, look, we've been in on the podcast or the podcast has been in existence for a couple of months now. And they gave me this number 
And I was like, is that good? And they're like, you don't know if that's good or not. And I said, yeah. So when people start reaching 10,000, you know, start, people are going to start paying attention. I said, oh, good. Are we close? I said, uh, yeah. So anyways, it was quite amusing. And so I, hopefully this will uh, leverage and catapult your uh, your journey and your career forward, Sean. I, I truly believe it. Wink, wink. Yeah. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, I, I've got a question for you that I, I, I want to keep for a little bit later on. Um, so why did you choose flexible leadership? Why, why is, is that important for you to talk about today? I think especially right now through COVID and everything that it's caused in, in personal lives and professional lives and, mm-hmm. and leadership styles, um, I think flexibility is one of those things that people have realized is incredibly important for, for organizations, for individuals, for teams, for whatever it might be. Um, and I think it's something that I've seen organizations struggle with, uh, especially in the last couple of years. They they're really strong in peacetime, but when it comes to you know wartime or, or mm. COVID time, the ability to adjust your leadership style, the ability to to allow responsibility to be diffused throughout the organization, the ability to change your mind, even though you've very publicly committed to a certain direction, it, it tends to be hard, especially for individuals that have found themselves in leadership roles and gotten to a point where they're so confident in their way, their decisions, their style, their approach, change can be very difficult. And, and from what I've seen over the last essentially two years is, is those that have been comfortable changing and being flexible and being okay with being wrong, uh, those organizations have been the ones that have been most successful and, and highest likelihood of kind of digging themselves out of the hole that COVID created. You started addressing, so the, one of my question is then, you know, what's your definition of flexibility? I think you mentioned a few kind of behaviors behind uh, flexibility. Can you elaborate a little bit more on what your definition of flexibility is? I don't think I have a definition. I think it's dependent on who you are and, and, and what you're dealing with. Um, to give you perhaps a couple examples, I mm. found even in my own leadership style, I have perhaps some consistent values and you know openness and transparency and collaborate like things like that. I'm, I'm pretty mm-hmm. consistent, but in terms of how I lead my teams, it, it it's quite different. And sometimes um, my role as a as a leader for the level five teams or for the client teams that that I'll also lead, my role is a cheerleader sometimes. Mm-hmm. And all I'm meant to do is you know rattle those pom poms in the air and clap and celebrate and push people into the spotlight and and act as more of a catalyst and an energizer to the team when they're doing already great things. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I'm a coach and I'm just meant to be the sounding board and, and um, you know, the safety net and, and helping someone get there, but again, kind of staying in the background. Um, but sometimes you also need to be the general and you mm-hmm. need to get in front of your troops and, and tell them exactly what we're doing and how we're going to get there and, and make sure they don't fall out of line. And I think you know, obviously people have a, a tendency or a preference for one style because it feels more natural, more comfortable. Um, but sometimes when things like COVID happen, you you realize, uh-oh, you know, we need that general. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we need that individual that's going to stand in the front of the room and, and calm people down and, and paint that direction forward and, and send people on their way. Um, but sometimes you also might realize I'm not the right person to be making these decisions. I'm not close enough to the front line or, mm-hmm. or whatever it might be. And my job is to empower all of these other people that know more about what they're doing than, than I do at the kind of center of this um, organization. And, and I think flexibility depends, it's more of a style and, and a willingness to change mm-hmm. depending on the circumstances that you're addressed with. 
if you uh, it, it, there's um, Heartbreak Ridge, a movie, Clint Eastwood, old movie, you know, uh, the Marine adopt and overcome. Right. So there is a mindset of self-reflection. I think that to be able to be flexible, you have to be able to acknowledge where you are, right? Yeah. As, as an individual, I think that's key as a leader. And if you take your job seriously, meaning that a lot of CEOs that I work with, when they come to realize, they go, shit, I'm responsible for 30 families. And I go, the decisions that I make impact 30 families. So times that by 420 people, basically, you know, you know, usually you'll have two partners and, and two kids, right? On average, and I'm generalizing, sure. but, you know, somewhere in and around there. So you can multiply that by four. So now you're like, holy shit, right? I'm responsible. So therefore, every decision that I make has an impact, not just on me. That's what I love doing what I do, because if I help a company become prosperous and have a prosperous mindset, meaning that always make a little bit more than you spend. So just be frugal, be, you know, well-rounded, be seasonal, don't have to buy strawberries in December just because you feel like them. So you have to go out, you know, you have to be a little bit tempered and, and not have strawberries. Cause I mean, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have strawberries. I'm saying that, you yeah, know, strawberry lobby is going to be up in arms right now. <laughs> But June strawberries in Canada and North America, oh my God, like you can't, you can't beat that taste because it comes from your neighbor's yard. Anyways, the point that I'm trying to make is that self-reflection is key to being, I think, a good, flexible leader, right? Um, what do you do? I journal. I journal often. Do you, what do you do to kind of self-evaluate? Do you take time? Do you make time? Do you... Do you whiteboard? What do you do um, as a principal and uh, a high level leader to kind of self-evaluate? I I think it's kind of a a constant activity that you need to go through. I don't think I've, I'm trying to think, I don't journal. I I do, I do blog a little bit lately. Mm -hmm. I've started a a blog this year. That's more about um, less about self-reflection, but I think as I think about most of the topics that I'm talking about, a lot of them are, things that I've struggled with in the past, like expressing your weaknesses and things like that. Mm. So uh, I think that's definitely been a channel as of late where, um, you know, I've had to pull myself away from the typical consulting uh, white paper on heavily researched points of view on whatever mm. we're talking about in the day and, and, and go a little bit off onto my own to, to really get out some of those ideas and, and probably go through the process of, of thinking about what works, what doesn't, what I like, what I don't like. And I think that's probably the closest thing I have to a, you know, a tangible tactile tool for self-reflection. I, I think if I can, the one thing that I've learned through the years is what's your MO? What's the one sentence that defines you as an individual, as a leader? For me, the one thing that if you ask any of my clients, they'll say, oh, Martin, what does Martin say most often? And Martin always says singularity of purpose. Right, so I was in the army for 10 years. And the way, and I played rugby for 30. So the purpose is very clear when, when you see a winning team or when you see a winning advance or you see a winning organization, it's that singularity of purpose. Does everybody understand the pitch? Does it, is everybody rowing in the same direction? Is there, 
minimal waste. I spent a year in Japan too. So that Kaizen good change is all about that singularity of purpose. So, and now it feels that singularity of purpose is the center line of what I do. Hmm. Now, if, if you talk to Dean, for example, who's one of my partners, he's all about agility, right? Cause he's learned scrum and agile and stuff. It says kind of like you flexible leadership. How do we, set a system within the organization that provides the ability to quickly adapt and change. Well, that's a purpose as well. Saying yeah. to say, okay, hey, hold on a second. Our purpose was this yesterday, but our purpose tomorrow might be this. But if you're aligned in your core values, then that's a good direction. So I don't know. That's, I, I agree with you 100%. Let me ask you that hard question I want to ask you before, because I think time is right. You came straight out of school into a consultancy role. Mm-hmm. How, with very little business or life experience, did, were you faced with adversity and objections? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is imposter syndrome. Um, mm-hmm. Because who, who, who am I still to tell these incredible CEOs and very accomplished people what to do and how to do it? And I think that's something that I've always struggled with, something I still struggle with, and something that I, I try and help my team overcome. Because I think in, in consulting or any sort of client service, you always feel like you're the least knowledgeable person in the room mm-hmm. because everyone else has been in that industry for 30 years and been in that seat for 30 years. And what could you possibly help them with that they don't already know? Mm-hmm. And I, I think the reality is I'm not telling them how to do their job. I'm helping them help themselves. And it, it's it's more of a... Uh, a kind of a reframe in my head that I've gone through that I, I'm not the expert in logistics or telecom or financial services or whatever I'm working on at that time. I'm the expert in simplifying complex decision-making mm-hmm. and framing out tough questions, facilitating people to alignment and creating tools or thought processes or methodologies to make decisions. I'm not the one making any of those decisions. I'm the one ensuring that the decisions get made in a structured and well thought through and well researched way. And I think that reframing of, of who I am and what's my role in this room um, has really helped because I'll never be, and I'm, I'm not the type of person that walks in and tells people what to do. I'm the type of leader that jumps on the whiteboard and says, okay, you know, what are the biggest things? Let's break mm-hmm. it down. Let's simplify the super complex problem and lead the experts through that decision-making process. So um I think imposter syndrome to, to round it out is, is one of those big things that you definitely deal with in the consulting industry. Um, if you try and take it head on and say, I am the expert, I'm the best, you're probably going to fizzle out and no one's going to want to work with you. Um, but if you realize your role is to be more of a coach and, and, and less of a dictator, then, then you're probably fine. I think different frame of mind is, is key. Let me tell you a good story. Maybe you got one. Um, Southern United States. Uh, railroad industry, a railroad leader. His father was a railroader. His grandfather was a railroader. So you want to talk about, you know, ingrained. And so I show up and with his drawl, he says, I don't know what you're going to teach me, son, but I I'm pretty darn good leader. And I've done this and I've done that. And I said, Hey, Mr. X, I don't doubt that at all. I'm here to be a third party advisor and see how we can do continuous improvement on how you address this. Says, okay. 
So let's go to the room. And there's about 10 people down there. And I said, what's the two key messages that you want to deliver? Well, he says, you know, high railing. So people hanging off the, the engine or as they were building trains in the yard, you know, they wanted the guys and the girls to stop to make sure that the, the, the train or the car had stopped before they got off of it. So not as it's rolling that they got off. And yeah. the second component, I can't remember what it was, but we'll say uh, making sure that the overtime hours were documented properly. Can't remember what that sure. was, but okay. So he goes in and said, okay, I'll time you. So we go in there and he says, Hey, how you doing? What's going on? Hey, here, listen, I was talking about uh, high railing, getting off and this and, and this, and then he says, okay, what else you guys got for me? And they say, oh, what's happening with the barbecue and this and that. And 20 minutes later comes up. Hey, thank you very much, guys. Says, okay, great. Thank you very much. Hey, Mr. X, can you step out for a sec? So I brought sticky notes and I said, okay, without cheating, without cheating, everybody take these two sticky notes and write down what two things that Mr. X really wanted you to remember. So everybody wrote them down and kept, so I went back to see Mr. X. I said, how do you think you scored? He says, uh, I'll say 90 because I want to be humble. I don't want to give myself <laughs> so humble. <laughs> wow. So I said, okay, cool. Uh, so I said, how, how do you feel with 60%? He says, what? So yeah, 60%. Here's the, he was, he was demoralized. I said, so yeah. let's change the way that you do things. Let's go in there, get all of the bullshit talk out front and then deliver your key messages at the end and make sure that you leave with those two key messages. We did that with the next, we did it within 10 minutes. So we cut the time in half. And at the end of the conversation, he scored hundred percent. So I yeah. think that your point to the matter is not to come in and say, here I am going to teach you how to do things, you know, my way it's how can we improve what you already do well and fine tune. Cause I think what you said is, is, and it really matches with flexible leadership is to be adaptive. And the previous one of the previous, sorry, I'm going to be quiet after this is the previous um, Graham North um, said to me, a, a branding expert. He said, always go in like you're wrong. Like always ask a question like you're wrong. And I think that was such a positive, flexible mindset. It's not my point of view, but really let's, yeah talk about that that's uh that's we, we always kick off any sort of recommendation or discussion with we have no pride of authorship here you can mm -hmm. tear this down to the studs and and call it crap and throw it in the garbage and burn it in front of me and and i will be just as excited because we're moving to something better and and sometimes you just have to to set that expectation early because th there tends to be a tendency to um you know, not want to step on your toes and not mm. want to say something that'll offend you and 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 sometimes you have to say i'm unoffendable you can do whatever, say whatever you want. Let's just get to a better result at the end. And that's all that matters. Um, a, a metaphor that I use sometimes with uh, clients and, and training consultants is the, the, the best, you know, clients can think of consultants in two different ways. One is they're looking for a fortune teller mm. and the other is they're looking for a personal trainer. And I always say if, if, if a client is looking for a fortune teller, that's not really our business. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's, it's bad for the client because they become dependent on you. And it's bad for you because you're just, you know, hawking points of view at them and, and they're taking it as at face value and running with it. And they're not mm -hmm. taking any accountability or ownership. Um, and it's, it's bad for the industry and it's bad for us. But if you build a relationship that's like a personal trainer, 
that says, you know, you want to lose weight, you want to gain muscle, let's work with those goals. Mm -hmm. I'll build a plan to get you there, but I'm not doing your sit-ups. Mm-hmm. you're going to do your sit-ups. I'm going to count them and I'm going to tell you what to do the next day. And you don't have to think about it. Just when you're here with me, I want hundred percent, 10%. And, and, you know, I want, want you to kind of work it. Um, that relationship in a, in a client and in, in a consulting relationship is so positive because, I, you know, I'm not doing liposuction. I'm helping you get better. And so when mm-hmm. we eventually break and, and you move on, you're better for it. You're not dependent on that fortune teller. I agree. I, I think that that is the, best analogy that you can put for consultancy. I think it's great. Um, personal training. Yeah. I'm not going to do the sit-ups for you. Fabulous. That's a good idea. What's your, um, what's the biggest struggle that you have faced with as a leader? So where was your learning when you go well, flexible leadership? Tell me a time during COVID where you go, I did not do this as well as I would have hoped to, right? Where I could have been, oh, I could have been a good consultant to myself. Um, I think if I'm talking about a good consultant to myself, COVID was a tough time um, for everyone, to be clear. Mm. It was not good. If anything, I'm in the fortunate part of, of COVID, given I can work from home and all that stuff. Agreed, but, yeah. um, but it was a tough time for the consulting industry because if I was advising on what to cut, I would cut the strategy folks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it makes a lot of when you're worried about you know, making payroll and keeping people employed, talking about strategy is going to be something that um, is a nice to have, not a need to have. And, mm. and we certainly as a firm, as an industry felt that in, in the first few months. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, you know, you know, as a type people, and this is what we need to do. And this is my job and my livelihood and my career that, that kicks in a bit of a fight or flight mechanism. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think the whole firm went into fight and it, it turned into something um, almost unsustainable in terms of the amount of time and effort and energy we put into you know, finding business and delivering business and, and ensuring our clients are super happy, but undercutting ourselves in price so bad that we're yeah. all working weekends and evenings. And, and I think the biggest disservice that um, we've all done for ourselves and, and the, probably the industry has done for ourselves is that hasn't turned off quite yet. That, that fight or flight mechanism is, is still heavy. And so we went from working pretty hard and, and fast and strong, and, and you kind of know what you're getting when you get into these industries, to like dialing it up two notches. And we haven't quite figured out how to, how to bring it back down. <laughs> and, and so I think that as a, as a leader who you know, has been close to burnout and has his team close to burnout, it's, it's something that... Um, I'm I'm personally struggling with right now in terms of how do how do we gear down this this race car a little bit um, without losing the energy and the enthusiasm and the excitement that we've fortunately been able to create in the last year and a half. I was going through my LinkedIn profile, not profile, but LinkedIn feed. Sorry, and I got a Hootsuite notification saying we're closed. And I said, what? He said, yeah, don't try to reach us. The entire company is shut down. Everybody's been going hard for the past 18 months. I've been crazy. Fist pump to Hootsuite leadership for saying, you know what? Pardon my French. Everybody, PFO, (laughs) we're shutting her down. Our people are important to us, more important than business. And I, I'm not saying that Hootsuite is the best company and it's the worst company in this particular instance. Congratulations. And whoever works for Hootsuite, you know, 
thanks their leadership to be able to take that week off because I'm sure they've asked a lot of their folks like we all have. I mean, personally, I'm the same way. When this all started, like the knock on the door, hey, can you help us? Can you help us? Can you help us? Can you dive in? I don't want to hire somebody full time. We need somebody part time who can jump in and do as much work as five people. And, And I mean, that's what we do. That's what we do at Urgio, right? We go in, we help explosive growth, we help leveling up, we help optimizing, you know, portfolio. So people are calling us saying, hey, listen, we're we're in dire needs, jump in. And all of a sudden, the entire team is working sometimes between 16 and 18 hours a day. Yeah. And and we're doing it because we want to help at a certain stage. Uh, you know, was it about a month ago we said, okay, guys, and girls. We got to, we got to take time off. We got to take time off. We have to tell our clients. Yeah. We love working with you guys, but we're not going to get anywhere. If I mean, and the most of our partners are people who have been well-established, you know, bought and sold companies and, and we're, we're older people who, who want to go fishing. We want to ride our motorcycles. We don't want to work more than 30 hours a week. So no, that's a, that's a, that's a big conversation about prosperity and sustainability within the, within the workforce. Right. And you can't blame anybody on the other hand, you cannot not blame anybody. Everybody has to take ownership and say, okay, what are we doing? What are we doing next? Right. Yeah. But it's also the broader ecosystem. It's not even just us as consultants, our clients are doing the same thing. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we're working with our clients over long weekends and you, you could just feel that, that anxiety level and that sense of stress hasn't quite diminished and hasn't quite gotten back to mm-hmm. um, kind of pre-COVID normals. And uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that we can get it there, but I think it's, I think it's going to still take a while before that, before it all wears off. So define for me leadership. What is good leadership in your opinion? Well, that's a big question. Um, I heard a good quote the other day that I thought was really telling of, of at least the type of leadership that, that I have a lot of respect for. And it was leaders don't need to be right. They just need the decision to be right. Mm. And, and, and I thought it was so concise and, and sweet, but it was so telling in the sense that as a leader, you don't need to be the smartest person in the room. Um, it's not your job to be the smartest person. It's nice and it feels good, but it's not your job. Your job is to ensure that when you leave the room, the right decision was made. Correct. And that decision could come from an intern. It could, you know, come from whatever. Um, But your job as a leader is to recognize what the best decision is, select it and, and rally everyone behind it. And, and I think that when it comes to a leadership ethos that, that I love to, to bring in and I seek for, and I, I, I enjoy kind of being part of is, is that type of leadership, recognizing that, you know, it's meritocracy, the best idea wins, there's no pride here, there's no egos here, let's walk into the room confused and walk out of the room aligned behind the best idea. And, and I think, you know, in the few minutes we have in this podcast to define leadership, I think that might be where I draw a line. <laughs> <laughs> I, so I've been catching up on TV, I haven't watched TV in I don't know how long. And, uh, I like more, I, I mean, I like humorous. I like stuff that is like Shit's Creek for me is just a good representation yeah. of life. And, uh, but the one that I've have falling in love with that really talks to your point is Ted Lasso on Apple TV. So you want to talk about leadership. There's this water boy, anyways, coach from the US, long story short, goes to the UK, 
knows nothing about football uh, soccer mm-hmm. and uh so the the water boy or or team manager whatever he's got these great ideas but he's so his self-confidence is so low he says all right nate you're up and he comes up with these great game plans of like you've mentioned you know identify keep your eyes open believe is a big one so for the listeners uh if you want to get some good leadership behaviors with a funny spin take a take a good look at ted lasso it's it's one it's amusing and there are great leadership lessons um in in there's there's no better feeling than championing someone's idea who probably felt nervous putting forward that idea like just as a leader making someone else the spotlight the center of attention it it, it feels so good. And my, my strong preference is if, you know, I've got an idea that I think is 100% right and someone else has an idea that I think is 95% right, most of the time I'll go with the 95 because mm-hmm. I, I think it's just better for the team, for the, the culture, for the atmosphere to, to just jump onto that energy and capitalize on the kind of softer benefits that come from the, you know, the, the non-leader making a decision um, than it is for the leader to, you know, always be in command and control type of atmosphere you've got access to so many different leaders as well. So in your lifetime, maybe school, sport, doesn't have to be business. Who is the person who was the best leader in your opinion for you? Could be your, your grandfather, your grandmother, your, your third grade school teacher, just, Work with me on this one. Which one was the best one? Because that's gonna that's gonna help the listeners really leverage your experience with all the CEOs that you work with and the leaders. So if I was to pick someone in my personal life, I would be not picking a number of other people in my personal life. So for for purely political reasons, I'm gonna pick someone who I wasn't working for or with and it had more of a tangential relationship. Um, but we did some work with um, the San Jose Sharks. It's public knowledge. It's on our website. Okay. And uh, I, I always thought that uh, Doug Wilson, uh, the GM of the Sharks for forever, um, was someone who just embodied in strong, thoughtful, kind, compassionate leadership. And uh, he, he recommended all these books like Legacy. I'm sure you've read mm-hmm. it um, if you're a rugby player. And, and he, he truly kind of embodied that, that spirit and that mentality. And anytime he was in the room, it, it was a, a more positive atmosphere. It was a a better conversation. It was more rooted in culture and values, even though we were talking about things on the business side that had nothing to do with really what he did as mm-hmm. a day job. And uh, he always struck me as someone that, you know, when, when you meet him now, he's, he's a clear leader. And when you look at his, his pedigree, you know, captain and hockey player, like he, he clearly has been a leader for, for a long time. And he's someone that I, you know, the moment I met him, I was like, this guy's quite clearly just embodies leadership. My, uh, my leader of choice was Master Corporal Boudelier during my basic training. He came over when we first started. You, the profanities that he would scream at you. He was, it, the guy had a mission. And as soon as you demonstrated effort and reciprocity, he trusted you first. Yeah. Uh, he would scream and that was back in, in the eighties and 1989. And so life was very different back then in the army as well. And he, there's a couple of things that he would do. One, he would always trust first. 
he would always defend his troops, regardless if you screwed up or not. Now, if you screwed up and, and you, he would, you'd suffer the consequences, but from him, not sure. from somebody else. So he was very inclusive. And meaning by that, that although he was the master corporal, he had a whole bunch of green guys and girls. He would always ask how you're doing. And in a true, how are you? Because he wanted you to succeed where other, you know, staff sergeants and, and other um, instructors would say, how many people have I lost this week? Right. They, they put the opposite, the result saying, well, here's how many I've lost in this because I've been such a badass. Yeah. Where Boudelier was, you know, he didn't count the subtle things that he did when a young man, a young 17 year old guy like me was crying because of like, oh, shit, I've been wanting to be in the army all my life. Is this really for me? Yeah. And no, however, how tough he was with you, he'd put you aside and you say, okay, smarten up. You're good at this. Don't worry about it. Keep doing this. Make sure you wash your boots. Make sure you make your, your bed bouncy. You know, he was very matter of fact of here's the behaviors that are going to make you successful. And so that, that impregnated me at the age of 17 that I, t till this day, till this day, when I apply leadership with a company of 41,000 people or 80,000 people around the world, that still sticks with me. So I think that's that, that leadership aspect that has tainted me. And the question is, you know, to the listeners, who has that been for you? And, um, and, and how has that impacted you today? Right. Yeah. Well, I tried to dodge it originally by, you know, saying Doug Wilson and I, I stand by it. He's a great guy. Um, but I do think, you know, it's hard to pin one individual because it almost puts them too high on a pedestal. Um, and it's very rare that you have one individual that's perfect in, in every which way yeah, or yeah, form. Of course, yeah. um, but, you know, if I, if I even just look at my own firm, you know, the five partners that, that I've worked with for the last little while, each of them have different skill sets and, and different levels of, you know, coaching styles and, and leadership styles and capabilities and empathy and, and communication styles. And, and I, I find picking and choosing the best of, of everyone mm. that I've worked with and the best of everyone I've had the opportunity to work with from an external perspective um, tends to be how I create kind of an amalgam leader that, that yeah. I, I worship and look up to that doesn't actually exist. Um, but your, your, your points on, you know, trust first and, and um, you know, actually, actually give a shit about yeah. the people that you're working for, worth, with or whatever, they're, they're, they're so impactful and so important. And my point of view is always when it comes to trust first, it's like, I believe you can walk on water and, until I see you sink. And, and if you walk into my office and say, you know, you walk on water, I'll believe you and let's go, Let, let's do it. And, and I'll tell the client you could do it. Um, but if you don't, I'm going to reel that leash in a little bit. And, and, and that's how I start every, every single relationship. You have unlimited leash. I won't check on you. I'll trust you're going to be there on time and deliver exactly where you're going to deliver until you don't. And then I'll just, you know, reel the fishing line a little bit back in until I can let it loose again. And uh, I, I find that mentality is just so much more empowering to the people you're working with versus the opposite where you have to earn my trust and earn mm. my respect to, to be able to, you know, step outside and, and do your own thing. It's, it's, you're, giving people the benefit of the doubt will make them such stronger individuals and workers and you'll ultimately get better results. It's, it's, uh, it, to be the leader is to lead, to do first. Right. So I always say you should trust first. Right. And when you look at it, 
mathematically, you look at how many people in your life have you trusted? And you kind of look at the math, you say, okay, well, if I've trusted 100, 150, 200 people in my life, maybe more, you go, how many of those people have broken your trust? And you go, five, <laughs> maybe, like, yeah, right? maybe two people, yeah, like rounding error. Yeah, right. So you go, okay, one, two. So basically out of a hundred people, you just mathematically and, and production wise, you are much better by trusting because 99% of that people will come back and give you an additional 10% because you trusted first. That's what morale is. So the desire of an individual or a group to achieve an objective or a mission, that's morale. So if you create great morale within the organization, their desire to achieve company goals is a lot further up. So maybe 10%. So what do you need to do to build morale is figure out what behaviors surround the group of people that you have, but people are people. And you go, okay, if I trust first, yeah, maybe 1% will, will shit the bed and, and I'll have to deal with that. But you look at 99% of the people will do a great job and give me even more than I've expected. So therefore you should always lead first without forgetting to verify. Cause that, I think that Sean is the key thing is, or people tend to yank the chain back. You just said it, like you said, just reel a little bit in. I, I still trust you, but maybe not on this part. Yeah. <laughs> I need and to and most of the time they know it too. It's, it's yeah. not like you're the only one in the room that realized that presentation wasn't so great. Most <laughs> of the time they'll reel themselves in and, and say, maybe I need a bit more coaching. Say, I'm here for you. <laughs> Happy to help. Glad I didn't have to make the call. With, with a simple question, I, 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 I say so many, I ask so many questions and people always tend to say, if I don't say, Hey, so how, great job. They, I go, if I go, I start with a question saying, Hey, how did I go? They go, Oh, that didn't go over so yeah. well. So loaded. The, everyone assumes the answer is wrong. How did that go? Not, not good. <laughs> uh, the ability to ask questions is a great leader. Cause I think too many leaders don't listen to the answers. Um. I think that's one of the key question about flexible leadership is you come into the meeting saying with some expectations that you go, when you truly and honestly ask good questions and you empower people to speak freely, like you said, you're not the smartest person in the world. Their better ideas might come up, right? No, they will. And, and I think what, what I found, if we're circling back to flexible leadership, what I found that leaders don't truly appreciate is in, in a situation like COVID, you had everyone in that leadership table, that C-suite room saying, you need to be agile, faster, quick decision-making. Great. But a bunch of buzzwords that were all mm -hmm. over the internet and, and, and they were saying them and that's, that's great. The challenge that I think wasn't recognized is, is, you know, part of what, you know, Urgio does is the the distance between the leadership table and the front line is, is pretty big. Mm -hmm. And all of the systems and the structures and the processes that get decisions, you know, toward that center or toward that core or, or back out haven't changed yet. Mm -hmm. So you might have decided Monday morning on March 17th, 2020 that, uh oh, we better be faster. Uh, we better be more <laughs> agile. But that doesn't mean that your prioritization mechanisms, your planning processes, your review mechanisms, your accountability, the impact, like all of the things that actually result in faster decision making 
those don't change just because you changed in your head that it should change. And, and um, th that's what I think, you know, flexible leadership isn't just the mindset. It's realizing that, crap, I got to roll up my sleeves and, and fundamentally change all of these internal processes in which we make decisions. Otherwise, it's, you know, I, I'm, it means nothing if you, if you say I'll be agile, flexible, nimble, all that stuff. It, it's just platitudes. You said something about decision making that I think needs to be expanded on because so many people forget. Let's do faster. Let's do faster. A lot of entrepreneurs that go oh, work, 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 get it done, get shit done, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. I'm not against it. And how quickly is it to be efficient at doing emails that are not impacting your business? I can go through 300 emails in an hour. Okay. Well, how is it moving the needle forward? The effectiveness is the decision-making. What decisions are you making that are impacting the organization and in the, enabling the business? And as Sean has mentioned, when Sean comes in, they go, okay, well, you're probably making low-impact decisions very often. But what are those high impact decisions that need to be made to be able to move the company forward, either grow towards prosperity or through growth? And I think that that, the quicker you learn to make more, how do you systemize and make more efficient, effective decisions more efficiently is the path to success. Because I think that that's what you're saying. And I really want you to, how does level five, evaluate when you first come into an organization, how, like on a buggered scale, you go, okay, you guys are really buggered. You're like a level one on the scale. You're so low. Oh, you guys are innate. You're not too buggered, but there's still some improvement. What kind of, what's your gauge at the leadership table that you go, oh shit, this is going to be a lot of work. Yeah. It, it depends on the project we're working on, whether it's strategic planning or market entry mm -hmm. or, or structure or process or whatever it might be. But um, typically talking to the leadership team gives you a pretty easy sense of, of how um, how disparate points of view and opinions are on whatever matter you're, you're tackling. Um, and, you know, we're consultants, so we have maturity models and standard mm -hmm. frameworks that we can pop up and say, you're a three and, and everyone mm -hmm. goes, uh oh. Um, so we've got things like that that, that make... Um, can, can in a structured way, make it quite easy and transparent um, to identify where the problems or, or misalignment are. Um, but I find the, the, the best way, just in terms of enacting change and convincing people to do something differently, similar to your, your you know, sticky note, what mattered mm -hmm. in, in, in the railroad story, um, helping people uncover what you know from the outside, but they don't quite they haven't quite internalized, like helping people no. discover it for themselves mm -hmm. is, is the best possible way to do it. Cause if you walk in and say, Hey, y'all are messed up. <laughs> you're not going to go very far. <laughs> um, they're, they're not going to respond well to that. And, and you're going to get the, you know, the Southern draw railroad example thrown back in your face. Um, but if you walk in and say, let's do an exercise, let's um, like, you've already had some conversations, you know, exactly where they disagree and where the mm. problems are let's take a two by two or let's take this model and everyone plot where you are and, and why. And you know, it's going to turn into a, like a, a bit of a mess and, and, um, and rightfully you, so. And, 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 but people don't realize that yet. You put that up, you have the conversation, you sit back with the team, you go, does that look right? 
are you guys this far apart? And they, they come to the conclusion and they start telling us like, holy crap, we're misaligned. And, and that to me, regardless of the model or the technique or the tool, it's, it's helping people uncover for themselves and, and being that, like realizing I can't do a squat, like realizing with that personal trainer that maybe I need a little bit of help, or maybe we should actually challenge ourselves in the status quo. Uh, that to me is the, is the one that gets the highest returns because we're, we're never going to be consistently the smartest people in the room. Um, but if we can help the very smart room figure out that there's, there's an issue that that's where we'll actually get change. What is a few more questions. What is the top two or three, when you think about flexible leadership, I, I want to put this down as what are your currently your top three behaviors that you say, okay. I'm coming in, I'm going to go sit with Martin for the next four hours and follow him around and see what, how he is. What are the top three things that you go, wow, this guy is a flexible leader or he is not a flexible leader. What'd be the, in your opinion, top three things that you would look for? And I'm not going to hold you accountable. This is just, I'm throwing this yeah. out there. What's the top Damn. three things that you think of? So if I'm trying to kind of, cut the noise and think of really, I'm stalling, um, really powerful behaviors that I've seen that demonstrate flexibility or, or kind of willingness or nimbleness to change. I think the number one would be willingness to kill ideas that are already in motion. Oh, um, that's a good because, one. Because that's not, it's a very uncomfortable thing. Like you've emotionally committed, you've set down a path you've stood in front of your board or your leadership team, your, your whoever. And you said, this idea is fantastic. And you sold it and you champion, you put your personal brand on it and, and, and then you kill it. And then you realize, like Oh shit, that's not so applicable now. Right. I'm wrong. You, you, you come to the realization one Sunday night over a glass of wine that Holy shit, I am wrong. What do you do next? That like that to <laughs> That to me it, it is someone willing to set their ego aside, kill their own idea and champion what is probably someone else's idea that they shot down earlier in the year. <laughs> like that to me is, is a huge sign that you're actually willing to be a flexible leader. Oh, that's a fabulous one. Yeah. Most of the time you plug away. <laughs> I, I, well, pride gets in a way, right? Or that determination. I can make this work. 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 I, I agree with you. That's a, that's a really good one. All right. Number two, what's your second one? Ooh. Consult installing, um, consult installing, consult yeah, installing. <laughs> put up a quick framework. Um, I think pro, like how decisions initiatives, actions, whatever it might be, get prioritized in an organization is a super important one. Like it's leadership led, mm. but most of the time in, especially in bigger organizations, decisions go through this um, kind of political decision tree where you, you mm. know, go to your manager, then you go to your director, you go to VP mm. and the VP goes to the president and the C-suite or whatever. And, and each of those takes time there's a game of broken telephone. There's 30 different PowerPoint decks that need to be created for different iterations that tie it to different objectives. And, and that's not a, a, a way to promote kind of agile, nimble, flexible mm -hmm. leadership. 
And I think organizations that at least have pathways to circumvent that mm-hmm. and, and mechanisms for kind of feedback mechanisms for making decisions at any point in the organization, I think for big strategic decisions, I think that's an important indicator of a flexible leadership team mm-hmm. um, taking it beyond a specific leader. That, uh, that is typical Gemba Kaizen. So Gemba means floor and Kaizen, good change, is keep the decision-making and the goals as close to the ground as possible. And so having a leadership advisory team of frontline supervisors and employees being able to come to the table with the executive saying, hey, so what's the hardship? Because, you know, jobs as management job is to facilitate and elevate. And we often forget that is to facilitate the work and elevate the workforce to be able to tackle on either more work or bigger, badder tasks or events yeah. or learning. And we often forget that, that our job is to, if you're not generating revenue, then you're helping facilitate the work or elevate the workforce. And yeah. I think that's a, that's a good analogy and a good, how do you prioritize those goals and decision-making? That's fabulous. Good idea. Good one. I think if I'm forced to, if I'm forced to come up with a third one, you are, you are. Um, Forced, know, forced. I'm, I'm holding getting a Getting used gun. to how this, getting used having... to how this show works. <laughs> I ask the questions, you answer. It's um, different, right? Eh? <laughs> I know. It's scary. I don't like this side of the table. Um, I think, like a, a good indicator to me when when you're working with a senior leader in an organization on whether they're flexible and and adaptable is how into the details they get and and how willing to like to your point you know a leader's job is to facilitate elevate champion all those things when i see leaders getting into wordsmithing and oh. getting into editing and grammar and and things like that it, to me it's an indication that either they're not quite ready for the leadership role and and they're still caught in their delivery role um or they're so particular about having something a certain way that they're unwilling to using my kind of past analogy, hundred percent, they're unwilling to accept the 95% as good enough. Oh, yeah. And, and things like that really when they slow down processes, cause you're having unnecessary iterations. If you know, the, the commas in the wrong place, it has no impact on what that means for what the business is going to do about that, you know, strategy, that initiative. And, and that to me is a, is an indicator of inflexibility um, versus the, you know, the, the flip side of that, when someone says, got it, run with it, you know, love the idea, trust you with the details, go with it. Like that to me is a leader that A, can make more decisions and, and B, has just outsourced some of the accountability to another part of, the, part of the organization after buying into the big picture. I want everybody who is listening or watching to take that down because it is so common across the board, yet so business impacting it is causing so much risk in the organization and i think that that is the sum of inflexibility your presentation is the wrong color it's to this it's to that it's you know we're not going to get the money from the board or we're not going to get the money from the investors you're not doing a good job of it really is that what as that you're focusing on so i have lived no of and have scolded so many that have done that. So Sean, that is on the money. So great three. Yeah, look, you did fine. You did fine. Put you on the spot and you came up with three fabulous 
Done. Bingo. You get two cookies for that. Thank you. All right. Um, let's last question. What are the two pieces of reference material? It could be a podcast. It could be a story. It could be a book that defines you and what you do on a regular basis. So for me, uh, I'll give you an example, seven habits, mm-hmm. putting first things first is something that I've, I read a long, long time ago and on my third or fourth iteration of buying the same book, because I've used it and read it seven habits of highly effective people, a gajillion times. So, and that for me, putting first things first and sharpening the saw are the two things that I live by on a daily basis. What about you? That's interesting. Um, if I'm thinking about a business book, Good to Great has been something that definitely oh. by Jim Collins is just so, such a tight book on strategy and focus and mm-hmm. all that fun stuff. And and I think from a consulting perspective, that was definitely um, something that was you know central to uh, you know how I was trained and, and how I mm-hmm. developed. And chapter two is called Level Five Leadership. I don't know if that's a coincidence, <laughs> but I doubt it. <laughs> Um, so I'd say, you know, if we're we're talking business books, that that's probably something I live by, but, but I think what's odd is I'm, I'm someone who is constantly tackling new things like amateur carpenter for the last three years, but I don't know, I might be a a amateur bowler next year. And, and I, I, I try and learn new things and, and kind of tackle just completely different either industries or subjects or trades or whatever. Um, and so I'm I'm constantly influenced by things that I I don't even know exist um, up until I start doing them and trying them, and and I think that it's not you know a a, a regimented thought process that I go mm-hmm. through that I've uh, always looked back on. I think it's yeah. more of a style of I'm willing to jump into something new, and then when I get there, I'll realize there's so many interesting metaphors of how to build a house that relate to business that I can now apply that I I never would have even considered before when I lived in that condo. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. And so I think I'm I'm always someone who's adapting to new, um, either leadership styles or credos or, or learnings or or whatever it might be. So I'm I'm constantly evolving. It's hard to pin down exactly you know my style because it's so influenced by you know the last five years and what I've really focused on. So you're a chameleon. You're you're a shapeshifter. You're that's that's your motto. You shapeshift to evolve. You're an evolving creature. So sweet. That's amazing. Well, Sean, thank you so very much for being on the show. Um, it zipped by, and I'm sure that people who have listened, who are listening and uh, watched, have gained so much from our conversation. So thank you again. Thanks for having me. It's been fantastic. If uh, you're on LinkedIn, I'm assuming? Correct. Yeah. And uh, Level 5 Strategy out of Toronto uh, we'll put the email down below. Are you okay with that? If people reach out to you directly, if they want to hear more and, and work with you. Always love to chat. Fabulous. Thank you very much. With that being said, my name is Martin Hunter. I'm the host of what CEOs talk about where we translate strategy into frontline operations. Oh, I forget marketing team. Please like subscribe all of that social media stuff. (laughs) (laughs) With that said, thank you very much. Thanks a lot, Sean. Thanks Martin. Thanks for tuning in to What CEOs Talk About. Make sure to click subscribe to get notified about future episodes or check us out at www.whatceostalkabout.com.